0: This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hello, and welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. My name is Austin, also known as Cup,
1: And my name is Shelby, also known as She Cup.
0: Join us as we embark on unraveling all of your favorite mysteries from the Assassin's Creed universe, from assassins to Templars to the mysterious Isu and more. We will seek to uncover it all, so join us and maybe even take a leap of faith.
1: Hello and welcome to the Assassin's Creed lore cast. I am Sheikah, or Shelby, and I am one of the hosts of this lore cast, and my other host is with right here with me i'll let him introduce himself
0: yes i am austin also known as teacup
1: and austin slash teacup is definitely the lore master uh on this show if you if you're tuning in for the first time so austin teacup what are we talking about today
0: well, today we are continuing our series that we started last time, which is goes like the conflicts between the Assassins and Templars. So I'm calling it Assassins versus Templars. Um, and today we are continuing. Last week we talked about the Mongolian conquest and how that played into the Assassin-Templar <laughs> conflict. Today we are talking about a much bigger topic, at least for European history, which is the 100 years of war.
1: Mm, that is a big topic.
0: Uh, and it is named because it does last over a 100 years. Yikes. Uh-oh. Can you
1: imagine like a 100 years? Like, that's crazy.
0: Yeah. Um, so I'm going to do a brief like what just... Cursory, very introductory, very one hundred and one level overview of what the Hundred Years' War is, um, and I want to stress that this is a very, very complex uh, historical situation. There's a lot of factors going into this, and what I'm giving is very brief.
1: Okay, so you're not you're not including everything that you could like every detail is not going to be mentioned you are just giving a basic broad broad strokes overview of the like three most important points
0: correct and it's really just the beginning of the hundred years war okay so not the Uh whole thing no it's the beginning and the end (laughs) so this is a series of conflicts. So it's not one long, like drawn out war of a hundred years of battles. It's a series of conflicts that enter into treaties and truces. Um, the black death happens during this The bu- bubonic plague ravages Europe. And obviously like you're not going to have war. Is it profitable when there's a plague going around?
1: Um, really? Or- I never would have known ask Russia.
0: Oh, or sustainable, I guess is the better word, not profitable, sustainable.
1: You didn't like my joke.
0: I didn't. I'm just going to barrel on through anyway. So this is a series of armed conflicts between the kingdoms of England and France during the late Middle Ages. And so the years I have are 1337 to 1453. So that's roughly 116 years. Um, and what, as I said, while not a continuous hundred years of conflict, it did last through five generations of kings on both sides. Which to put that clear perspective, for England now, if we went back five generations of kings, we're around George Third or George IV. Long time. Yeah. So basically, you know, five generations is almost how many, how old the United States is. Uh,
1: Right. And it's also like that long is beyond like living memory. Yes. Like there are people living at the end of this. Most of the people living in 1453 don't know anything about 1337 like there's no one that they can go to and say hey grandma what was it like in 1330 like they can't do that
0: yeah and so as i said we're gonna do this in the beginning this conflict begins when king charles iv of france dies without any sons which is a big deal um because there is no clear line of succession there are many like precedents on who could take the throne no matter what system of monarchy you're talking about whether you're talking about the german princes france england it's a very complicated issue when your monarch dies without any without a clear named heir um and so his closest blood relative is the son of his sister isabella who is King Edward III of England. And so obviously the English nobility want to get Edward on the throne of France because it's a good political move for them. And obviously the French nobility are like, immediately, no, Uh, absolutely not. And so... The Isabella claims what's called proximity of blood, which basically is claiming that Edward is Charles's closest blood relative. Um, And the French nobility basically just say, you're a woman and not here. You don't have a right to invoke this. So yeah, that's how.
1: So he doesn't get the throne.
0: Uh, No, he actually ends up relinquishing his claim uh, because the nobility and then who they name as king basically gives him some land, and then mm. the next king decides to take that land back, and the it starts all over again.
1: Of course, classic. Yeah.
0: Um, and so this is a big thing. Like these are series of conflicts over stretches of land that England wants on the like continent of Europe. This is a big deal because England is this powerhouse, but because of their geography, it's hard for them to influence and control what goes on on the continent of Europe. Um, and that's also because you also have major powers across the way in, Ger- in like the Holy Roman Empire and what would be Germany and Italy, as well as France and Spain. Um, so it's very hard for England to have any influence over the continent. So they want to have established cities so they can gain that. So that should surprise nobody is that the assassins and Templars are at the center of this conflict. Um, So as we know from our history of assassins episode, King Philip or King Charles IV is under the influence of the assassins. Um, he, He is the one that the assassins go to to eradicate the Knights Templar in 1307. So when he dies, it's natural that the Templars want to put someone on the throne who is sympathetic towards them. And that the assassins basically would move against that. Um, And so after the eradication of the Templar order, this is an important point for the history of the assassins versus the Templars, which is that the assassins claim a very strong influence on the continent of Europe. You have the Polos establishing the Italian brotherhood and helping influence in Germany in the Holy Roman empire as well. And you have this, establishment of the French Brotherhood and them getting up and basically leading to what they think is the eradication of the Templar Order, the Knights Templar, as an official public order. So they have created this huge stronghold on the continent of Europe. The Templars buckle down on the island of Britain and they shore up England as their stronghold. And so this conflict keeps going back and forth and basically for most of it it's just a back and forth no one no one really gains any ground they're just fighting over the same areas no one's really making any big political strides or changes in what's happening in France versus what's happening in England France remains an assassin stronghold England remains a Templar stronghold Um, it's just kind of the stalemate of I imagine just like a tug of war where like sometimes the rope pulls more towards one side, but then just shortly after it's immediately pulled back. And that is until a certain woman comes along. And so there's no notable uh, struggle until the later years until a prophecy comes about, about a, Prophetic maiden who would lead French, the French to victory against the English. And so, uh, seeking an end to the conflict that is the Hundred Years' War, uh, the mentor of the French assassins, Queen uh, Yolande of Aragon, sends assassins across the country in search of this maiden. Eventually, an assassin by the name of Jean de Metz meets a young maiden warrior by the name of Joan of Arc.
1: I love Joan of Arc. She's one of my
0: favorites. I know you do. And before (laughs) we get into her backstory, because the rest of the episode is all going to be about Joan of Arc, because she's the big player in this conflict. Um, let's take our break. Okay, sure. I'm your host, Maverick Stone. It's me, Gingerino42 hey this is sassy lady and i'm jackson and we we
1: are the fallout rounding join us as we explore various topics from the fallout universe brought from multiple perspectives we can be found on your favorite podcatchers from spotify to itunes or follow us on twitter at fallout rtb or our email fallout rtb at gmail.com be sure to rate follow and subscribe thank you So, welcome to our break. This is our mid-section where we like to thank you guys, thank all of our listeners, and just highlight some important information that is not dedicated to the lore specifically. So, all news about the podcast happens here, so it's important. So first of all, I want to um, remind you that if you leave us a five-star review on Apple, we will read it out here on the show. So you don't have to listen on Apple. You just have to have an Apple account, which I think most people do. So if you have an Apple account, please review us and we will read it out on the show and Also, if you listen on Spotify, ratings are also super duper important. All of these things are really important because they help future potential listeners know that we're a good show, know that we're a quality show, know that we are a show that uh, is still making episodes and that they're good episodes. So if you enjoy this podcast and what we say, what we do, all of our episodes, please, please, please review us because it really does help. And especially since we are still a new show, I think we only have five episodes right now. um, It is super important to get those reviews out there. So I don't believe we have a review to read today. Is that correct, Austin?
0: We do not. not.
1: Okay. We do not have a review to read today, which is okay. So somebody out there is going to leave us a review and we'll, we'll be able to read it next week. Um, and then the other thing I have to highlight during this mid-break is that we do have our own Discord server. It is called the Cups Podcasts and More. And we have dedicated channels for all of the podcasts we host, which Teacup and I also host the Dragon Age Lorecast. Obviously, this show that you're listening to now. And Teacup and another host, Ben of Tamaria do the holocron histories podcast about star wars lore so we have spaces to talk about all three of these shows and in addition other uh, of our favorite games and just generally sharing life with one another so if you are looking for a space to talk about all your favorite games and share cute pictures of your dogs and cats our discord server is the place for you you can find the link in the description. Austin, is there anything else I'm forgetting?
0: Yeah, I just want to highlight one little change to the podcast, and that we had been releasing episodes uh, every two weeks. Um, we are happy to announce that we will be now releasing episodes every week. So no more waiting two weeks for your assassins content. Assassins Creed content. We'll have that every week, every Tuesday. It'll be on all of your podcasts. Uh, Podcatchers, that's the word for them.
1: Yeah. Wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. Awesome. Wonderful. I didn't know if we were announcing that yet.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's happening, so yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, if that's all we've got for the mid break, let's get back to the content.
0: Hi, I'm Aaron. And I'm Ariel. And we're the host of the Legend of Zelda Lorecast. Podcast about all things Legend of Zelda. From Errol to Zora.
1: And all the fun things in between.
0: If you're ready to dive deep and learn more about The Legend of Zelda lore and everything surrounding it, come join us on The Legend of Zelda lore cast. You can find us on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We hope to see you soon. All right. Joan of Arc is coming into the picture, who is one of SheCup's Shelby's favorite historical characters. Um, which after doing this research, I have to say, she's pretty awesome. Even as a historical, an actual historical figure and as a player in this Assassin's Templar conflict. Um, and so a little history for her, she's born in 1412. Um, so like right smack dab in the middle of the hundred years war, maybe a l- on the latter half of the middle, but still pretty close to the middle. Um, To a peasant family. So she grows up with this conflict that doesn't seem to end anytime soon. Um, She grows up basically always with the threat that the English are going to come and rule over them and enslave them. Um, At 13, she receives visions from saints that claim that she will free the land of English domination. And so naturally, after this, by her family and friends and the people around her, she, her behavior is noted as strange. Um, she starts, you know, acting like she's this chosen one, which is what she feels she is, and it's just people note that she's strange. Which, you know, Sheikup and I host the Dragon Age Lorecast. Androste, if you listen to that, Androste takes a lot of inspiration from Joan of Arc um, in the story. Would you agree with that, Chica? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And I also think to make this make sense a little bit more, you have to understand like she comes from a peasant environment. Like she's not born in the city, she's not nobility. She comes from a poor farming family. And she's very much acting like above her station, so to speak. Like, you know, poor farm girls, they don't get visions from saints, you know, I'm mm-hmm. sure the like, who does she think she is? She got a vision, you know? So right. it's to understand that when thinking about like how everyone doesn't take her seriously at first. Right,
0: And she's also young. She's 13. And so it's also like, oh, you're just a 13 year old kid who's doing this for attention.
1: Yeah. You're just a girl. You're a 13 year old girl who's unmarried. Like, what do you have to give to the world? Yeah. That's how they're going to look at her. Yeah.
0: Well, she does gain the notice of someone from a more prominent noble family in France. Uh, She befriends a man by the name of Gabrielle Luxart, uh, who after noticing her, he is her step cousin. I think that's important to note. um, Noticing her, he notices her with eagle vision. Which for those of you who are either new to the Assassin's Creed story, maybe you started with origins or the Eagle Vision is a special sense that people with Isu DNA contain that allows them to, it's really complicated, but like you can sense the intentions of people. And you can sense like you detect their aura or you can notice patterns and secrets. Um, it's used for a lot of things. Desmond Miles use it, uses it to figure out the code on a keypad because he can see the fingerprints. Um, in the games, you can distinguish, okay, who's a good allied character? Who's an enemy character? Um, you can sometimes see through walls. You can see like paths to climb up. It's just like a heightened... Sense. It's often called the uh, extra sense, the sixth sense that the Isu have, which is called the sense of knowledge, which makes sense. Like, it's this, you gain this sense of knowledge. So Gabrielle Xarc basically sees Joan of Arc in Eagle Vision. And he then kind of pledges and agrees to help her with what she calls her sacred quest. Um. And she wants to be taken to a French captain by the name of Robert de Baricourt, Court. Baricourt. something like that. I don't do French, but that was my attempt. Uh, naturally, because Joan of Arc is this peasant girl, as Chicup said, he refuses to meet with her, which, you know, Shelby, just, does that surprise you?
1: Not at all. And I know y'all can't see me, but I was over here rolling my eyes when he said that. <laughs> uh,
0: yes. Um, so disheartened, Joan goes back to her town um, and she actually becomes involved in a lawsuit because she refuses to marry her fiancé, claiming that she never agreed to it. Which, that would be a big deal. And, you know, I'm not a big medieval historian, but I know that Shelby has given a little bit more hat, so she could probably give a little bit... You want to give a little insight to like what big a deal this would be for her to claim that she never agreed to this betrothal?
1: I mean, it's... I think the bigger deal is that she is trying to get out of the marriage um, or the potential marriage because like that's her duty as a girl in this time period. Um, This is what she's supposed to do. This is like... The, the two choices that women have back then are to get married and become a mom and have a bunch of children and take care of your house and your home or go and become a nun. Those are your options. And she definitely forges a new path. Not, not one that a lot of people follow, but um, one that is unique to this time period.
0: So after this, Joan of Arc tries several times to get the French captain's opinion all with met with failure. She becomes very depressed, very disheartened for all of that um, until a point where an, a fated encounter happens and she meets Jean de Metz. And during an impassioned speech, Joan of Arc's aura began to radiate and de Metz's recognized her as having precursor or Isu DNA and pledged to protect her from then on out. Now this is a big deal because we know that there are certain individuals that contain a higher amount of, of Isu DNA than the rest of us. They often have the triple helix DNA. They have the power of Eagle vision, sometimes even more extraneous uh, DNA and Joan of Arc is the highest recorded person who has the highest amount of precursor DNA for kind of things. It's like, she is the highest midichlorian count. If we're talking star Wars, like,
1: can I ask a question? Yeah. So if she lives in the 13 or 1400s, how do they know what her DNA was?
0: Um, This is kind of like a retrospective of what they recognize, but remember that the Order of Ancients was hunting people who had precursor DNA or Isu DNA. They might have not called it that, but they were hunting and using that from the very beginning. They wanted to control that and they recognized these individuals as individuals with power. And so there's a little bit of an asking kind of like to suspend disbelief because that the Templars and assassins kind of hold this secret knowledge about how the world really is. And so the members are trained to recognize this kind of stuff. It's kind of like how Altair knew that Genghis Khan was using a piece of Eden for his conquest because he's already familiar with the tech and everything. So
1: basically what you're saying is they already know about DNA back then.
0: Sort of, it's more. I like I said, I'm using kind of a 21st century lens to describe what is happening. But sure, Demetz probably didn't say, "Oh, you have precursor DNA."
1: Right. I'm just saying they understand those concepts more than we actually did at that time period.
0: Correct. Um, okay. Which it might be like they would understand like how geology geono- how like her. her- like hereditary stuff works um genetics 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 sorry and so i mean they knew that i mean i guess in some way they knew you know not to marry brother and sister so they had some like knowledge of
1: right okay i was just curious but let's continue with the actual content
0: So I have a quote from Joan's speech that inspired Demetz to pledge loyalty to protect her. Um, And it just, I think it gives us a contents of her character. And it's important to note that Joan of Arc is a canonized saint for, I believe, both the Anglican and the Catholic churches, um, which is a big deal, which means that she is basically, she's considered a very holy person by both of these churches, um, which is a big deal to religious history. Um,
1: yeah. And you basically like to become a saint, you have to live a holy life and like have proof that you've like done a miracle at least one. Mm. So it's a, it's a really big deal, a, more of a big deal for Catholics than others, yeah. but uh, yeah, it's a really big deal for them.
0: Yes. But she is also one of the few women that are canonized as a saint in the Catholic church. Um, they're not she's not the only one nor is she the first but she's one of the few
1: there's actually quite a few female saints, like a lot actually
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, so she says i was born for this there's nobody in all the world neither king nor duke nor any kingdom who can recover the kingdom for france this kingdom will have no help if not from me
1: Wow. I've never read that before. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really impressive how confident she was.
0: Yes. Uh, And I don't know if this is from like the Assassin's Creed database. So I don't know if she actually said that or if that's something that they're taking historical liberty with. But I do know from my cursory things that she was a pretty confident person. And I think to be a woman in her position in her time, she would have to be. Um, She would have to kind of take that to sever fart because the confidence I think would make the men who seek to control her take pause because they wouldn't be expecting it. I don't know how you feel about that.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I was looking up whether that quote was uh, authentic or not.
0: Oh. So, uh, Joan of Arc is eventually referred to the um, captain's liege lord, which this story will make you laugh, Shelby. Uh, the Duke Charles of Arlaine, uh, who was expecting her to perform healing or some type of miracle after hearing about her. But instead she scolds him for having a mistress and requests aid from his son-in-law instead of him.
1: That's hilarious. And I totally support it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a very like on brand yeah um and so after this joan kind of moves about for several battles um with the english army leading the french army and at this point the english have kind of gotten themselves some french allies so they're a little more dangerous to france than they were earlier in the hundred years war um but during this time, Joan is led by what she calls the voices, which she thinks are the voices of the saints she had visions of. Um, the assassins and Templars stipulate that it was the voices of her Isu ancestors speaking to her. Mm-hmm. But they lead her uh, to a sword of Eden. And she then uses this piece of Eden to aid her in uh, various conflicts pers- uh, Specifically, the Battle of Orleans, which is the battle she's most famous for. Um, that conflict and winning that conflict in the Hundred Years' War of the Battle of Orleans. Um, and so she does that. Naturally, we now have a piece of Eden involved. And so this basically puts a target of, Joan of Arc- on Joan of Arc's back from the Templars. Um, they want this piece of Eden. The Templars want pieces of Eden to control the world. They think that they're having that. Um,
1: I'm just hearing the Jaws soundtrack in the background. Like,
0: <laughs> dun dun. <laughs> yes. Um, and so Templars, both in the English and French armies, plot to have Joan captured and burned at the stake on charges of witchcraft. Um, which is what happens in real history. Um, however, that's not the end of the story for the Assassin's history. you giving me a face. <laughs> hmm.
1: I was just going to say something, um, but I'll wait until you finish it.
0: Okay. Uh, the Assassin's plan for someone to take Joan of Arc's place. Uh, her maid floor volunteers and Joan escapes and lives her life hidden in the countryside where she presumably dies of old age. She also marries Gabrielle Locksart and produces one child. And that's the end of Joan of Arc.
1: It's really interesting because in real life the leaders of France are basically like using her like okay do this for us and then they turn around and betray her um so it's kind of interesting that a similar political situation is happening in the assassin's creed and i mean of course they're probably drawing from history but um it's very interesting
0: yes i think it's interesting to have her live mm-hmm. um, which, when we get into when we move into Legacy, I'll talk about why I think they chose that liberty to take that liberty. Um, it's an important thing that has become in the later games. But yeah, do you have any overarching thoughts about Joan of Arc?
1: Um, well, first of all, I'm glad she's included in Assassin's Creed because I think you're right. She is one of the most one of. The- <laughs> I don't want to like say, oh, she's the most important, blah, blah, blah. But I do think that she's a really important person that a lot of people look up to. And I know that like when I first learned about her when I was a young kid, like I've always loved history. And I was like, oh, man, awesome. There were like girls and women back then who did important stuff. So I think that um, for that reason, it's exciting that she's included, Um So, yeah.
0: yeah. And I think that, like, of course, she's an assassin. Um, mm-hmm. It fits with her character and who she is that she would fight for this freedom and that she wouldn't want. She would never join the Templars, even if they asked her or offered it to her, because yeah. as you can see with the noble who expects her to perform a miracle, she's not going to tolerate any type of injustice. Injustice is never OK, no matter what the means your, yeah, or what absolutely. your end is yeah
1: absolutely oh and i did google about that quote and it looks like her statement like the first sentence of it is authentic uh, like the i was born for this
0: mm-hmm.
1: he probably actually said that but I, I i don't know about the rest of it
0: so uh we got two things i want to talk about in regards to the whole thing uh mm-hmm the first thing I'm going to talk about the legacy of this conflict into the overall assassins conflict. Um, I think what this does, is this highlights that the assassins and Templars really haven't gone away from this Isu obsession that the order of ancients and hidden ones started with them. Like it's not something that they were able to shake. And even Alfred of Wessex wasn't able to shake it completely from the Templars.
1: Right, and it's been like thousands of years, right?
0: A couple hundred, five hundred, because Alfred is like 700, 800.
1: No, I'm sorry, I meant from the order of ancients. Like, that's right around, like, zero, right? The year zero?
0: Yeah, give or take, my plus or minus 20 years.
1: Right, um, yeah, so like, that's, 1500 years is a long time to be obsessed over something.
0: Yeah. Um, And, you know, like, if a reformer like Alfred the Great can't get it out of the Templars, no one is going to be able to. Um, Because from what I know of him, he was a very convincing man. Um, And persistent. Yes. Um, And if you you appeared to his moral code or. You were either killed or sent away or reeducated. Um, so yeah, like this just shows that they're still obsessed because like the conflict is such this pull back and forth and no one really making a move until a piece of Eden gets involved. And then you see results, you see movement fast. Once that piece of Eden is there, all bets are off. The Templars are coming for Joan of Arc and the assassins have to protect her.
1: Which of course they are because they're singularly yeah.
0: focused on that. Yes, um, because they be- the Templars believe that the Peace of Eden is their pathway to world domination. Mm, uh, of course it is. Yeah, that is their goal. They, they can use those to dominate the world um, and bring about their perfect ideology. Another thing that this highlights um, is something that's actually established in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, especially the DLC uh, Legacy of the First Blade. Um, which follows uh, Cassandra Eagle Bearer meeting Darius of Port Persia, which we know is the assassin who is the first first recorded use of the hidden blade. Um, and through that, we talk about the importance of the Isu hybrid bloodline. Um, so Cassandra comes from what is often referred to the bloodline of heroes, Um and when you think of like heroes, we're talking about like the classic Greek heroes, Hercules, Perseus, Theseus, like all these classics from the mythology. They were all Isu hybrids. Um, and so. Yeah. What would what, you say?
1: I just said that's fascinating. I haven't gotten there yet, obviously.
0: Yeah. So Cassandra is the granddaughter of King Leonidas, who is the Spartan king. Who held off the Persian advance with 300 men? Uh, Based on the movie 300, like she is his granddaughter, and so she has this lineage of kings. And the spear of Leonidas is a piece of Eden that Cassandra uses that gives her helps gives her power. Um, And so. Cassandra is often taught both by her mother and by Darius that it is important that she continues her bloodline. Um, And so whether or not she chooses to like, she's in love with Darius's son or that she does it out of necessity. They eventually produce a child who through events or things, they escape Greece and head to Egypt to eventually one of their descendants is Aya Siwa.
1: Wow. Owen Wilson's voice. Wow. So,
0: And this is a big deal because Aya is both a descendant of Cassandra Eagle Bearer and Darius of Persia. That's insane. Yes. Um, It's a big deal. And they talk about this connecting this bloodline that connects, you know, Desmond has this bloodline all of these assassins that we follow through these games have this some connection to this bloodline. So the fact that they have Joan of Arc live and pass on her Isu DNA with another person who has Isu DNA because Locke's can use eagle vision so that implies that he has Isu DNA. Just shows that there's still this importance of like continuing this Isu bloodline, and the assassins seemingly always have a play in helping continue that bloodline. And now I don't know if Aya ever has another child to pass on that bloodline or not. Um, my guess would be no, that the line of Cassandra ends with Aya, because I don't see. I don't see Aya having another child. I don't see her. Willingly going through that again.
1: I definitely don't. I wouldn't see her and Bayek having another child together. No. But maybe she did with someone else. I could see that.
0: Yes. And you know, like it is later, you know, contraception isn't reliable. It's possible it just happened. Um,
1: You mean it's earlier?
0: uh, Yeah, that's what I meant. (laughs)
1: Later.
0: Yes. And another important thing is this sets up both Assassin's Creed Unity and Syndicate because (sighs) you established both France as this assassin hub and England as this Templar hub. And it's so interesting because Assassin's Creed Unity kind of follows how all of that kind of falls apart with the French Revolution. So basically, and we'll get on to this the, the assassins basically coordinate and dismantle the colonial Templars through the American Revolution. So the Templars basically say two can play at that game and they start the French Revolution. Um, and then Assassin's Creed Syndicate follows the kind of anti industrial you know, uh, Karl Marx movement against like industrial revolution, England, which follows the assassins dismantling, uh, the Templar presence in England. And so neither of those stories really happened without the kind of establishment that happens in the hundred years war.
1: Right. It's so interesting how these things have such a long lasting impact And it's also interesting to me, like, it's a very convenient writing device that they would set up, you know, an assassin country versus a Templar country between two countries that, like, already have massive animosity and hatred toward one another. Yeah,
0: And of course, the Hundred Years War has huge, huge, huge implications for the Assassins Templars, Because in real history, like, if you want to know why France and England have so much conflict, I mean, it starts before the Hundred Years' War, but look to the Hundred Years' War, and that's where you really get the bulk of their conflict with one another.
1: Well, Austin, do you have anything else to add?
0: I don't. That's really this conflict.
1: All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. We'll see you next week.
0: All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at Assassin's Creed Lorecast, or you could talk to us on Discord in the Robots Radio Discord or our personal Discord server. Both links found in this episode's descriptions. Thank you for listening, and always stay to the shadows to serve the light, assassins.
1: vault dwellers join
0: me jackson sassy lady roamer eric and the creator maverick as we take topics from the fallout universe and discuss them with other diverse individuals we can be
1: found wherever you listen to your podcast you can follow us on youtube you can also find us on twitter or x or whatever you want to call it using at fallout you can send us an email using Falloutrtd at gmail.com join us the conversation has already started